0: Looks like the average age in the room dropped about fifteen years with the two strollers. <laughs> Very special thank you to the Greenwald family for sponsoring this evening. They are sponsoring in honor of the yard side of Mrs. Greenwald's mother, Frumel Bas Mordechai. And also for Rafua Shalema for Mrs. scratch that. This is the yard side of Mrs. Greenwald's grandmother. And for Rafua Shalema. For her mother and her aunt Her mother is Leah Bas Frumet, And her aunt is Sarah Bas Frumet. They should have a refuah for Who are learning this evening Amen. <coughs> The topic this evening is reverence It's a word we don't hear that often In 2018 in America The question I'd like to ask is as follows Is it a good thing to live in fear? If you were to ask most people that question, is it a healthy, productive thing to live in fear? I assume most of us would probably answer, No! Living in fear is something that sounds dreadful and depressing and limiting. Why would you want to live in fear? We try to overcome fear. We try to transcend fear. Yet, Shlomo HaMelech tells us in Mishle, fortunate is the man who is always afraid. Praiseworthy is the person who is always fearful. And one who hardens his heart falls into misfortune. So it sounds like the advice of Shlomo HaMelech is, if you're always afraid, that's a wonderful thing. So what in the world does that mean? Now, what makes things a little bit more complicated is we have a Gemara in Brachos that tells us the story, HaVahu Talmida Dehave KaOzel Basred Reb Breb Yossi Beshuka. There is a particular disciple who is following Rebishmal and in the Shuk, the Tzion in Tzion, Chazik mafchid and Yisshmael turns around and he sees this young man is afraid. Doesn't say what he was afraid of, but he sees that he was afraid. Amar Lechataat, so he tells the student, "You're a sinner." The fact that you're afraid means that you're making a mistake, you're doing something wrong. So the student says back, he was well-versed in Mishlei. he says, well, what are you talking about? Didn't Shloma Melech tell us, Ashrei Adam Praiseworthy is the person who's always afraid. So Amr Leir Bishmal said to him, The only time we say that you should be afraid is in matters of Torah. So it's still very vague, but at least we have a structure. Rabbi Shmuel is teaching us that generally being afraid is something we want to stay away from. And if we find ourselves, we're fearful, we're scared, that means we're lacking bitachon. We're lacking clarity that Hashem's in charge of everything. Where do we say it's a good thing to be afraid? That's bedivrei Torah, matters of spirituality. So what kind of fear is that? When it comes to divrei Torah, Ruchnia, spiritual growth, how am I supposed to be afraid? Comes along the Malbim, one of the great commentators in the 1800s, and he elaborates upon this idea. He says, being afraid doesn't mean a natural fear. To the contrary, the praiseworthy fear... Is where I'm in a state where I'm courageous, and I'm calm, cool, and collected. There's nothing that's really making me afraid, but rather, osa atzmo ala asid. I make myself afraid of the future shalo in order not to make mistakes. That's the, the proper healthy fear. So it sounds like according to the Malbim, when is it praiseworthy to be afraid? That's when I'm choosing to be careful and looking into the future. Not that I'm nervous, not that I'm scared, but I care. Healthy fear is, I care about doing the right thing. If it's between me and a Kaddosh Baruch Hu, or if it's in a relationship, I should be afraid when I speak to my wife, for good reason. But we should all be afraid when we speak to our spouse that I don't want to say the wrong thing. If you ever speak to somebody while they're dating, and they're thinking of somehow giving across a message or they're not sure how to say it, and they could spend hours going back and forth in their head speaking to their friends, speaking to the rabbi, how should I say it without hurting her feelings? And then they get married... And the amount of time spent on thought before speaking is close to zero. We're no longer afraid of saying the wrong thing. So the Malbim is telling us that the healthy, proper, productive fear is because I care so much about my relationship, because I care so much about continuing to grow spiritually, I'm afraid of making the wrong move. And that's what Shlomo HaMelech was telling us. What's the opposite of healthy fear? Makshalibo <speaking in Hebrew> But if you harden your heart, which means if you don't care, if you're numb, if you're, 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 you're going forward without thinking about how I'm doing it or why I'm doing it, that's the opposite of fear. That means you're living life without care. I'd like to take a few moments and explore together different types of fears. Different types of healthy fears. And I think really from here on out, I'd like to use a different word besides fear. Because I do think fear has a negative connotation. Even if we have the Malbim's perspective that it's about caring to do the right thing, the word can throw us off. So I think a better word for fear is reverence. Reverence is, I do have a certain level of fear, I have a certain level of awe, but I I have a respect. That's what reverence is. I have a respect either for the person or for the thing, and therefore I treat it in a certain way. That's reverence. I want to explore different forms of reverence, and I happen to believe that One of the key ingredients that's missing in our society is reverence. If you go back to the 1940s and 50s, and then we have this awesome change in America in the 1960s and 1970s, the 1980s were just a strange decade, right? That was just just a strange time in our history. That was a sore point. And then you have the 1990s, which are really 10 years of, of economic bliss, and we thought we were on top of the world, and that was before 9-11. We had this, this false sense of security. All was well. But you look at that transition, at that evolution in America, and although in the 1950s we were somewhat in the box, and then we exploded out of the box in the 1960s with, with independence, with autonomy, with not listening to authority, with fighting against the machine and rebelling against the system. And a lot of that led to wonderful, beautiful, ethical movements. The idea of the the civil rights movement being able to trample on decades and decades of, of, of hatred and racism. That was beautiful. But at the same time, because we entered this whole new stage of of autonomy, and and looking down in authority, we were free. We were liberated from the shackles of the 1950s, but with freedom comes a lack of reverence. And when there's a lack of reverence, there's a lack of respect in society. And when there's a lack of respect in society, society begins to crumble. Because the only way to have a value system that's, that's carried over and passed on from generation to generation is if you have some level of respect, and that's missing. So let's explore a few different forms of reverence. The first is, source number four, as that we have a mitzvah to fear, or to have reverence of Hashem. To have reverence of Hashem. Now, this could be very easy to, uh, to believe we have a proper yiras Hashem, reverence of Hashem, when in reality it might just be anxiety, or it might be OCD, or it might be one of many other psychological things that are keeping us afraid or, or intimidated, but it's not fear of God. There's an amazing midrash that says that in the times of uh, the Purim story, so the Jews were afraid of the decree, and they thought it was appropriate fear. Because they looked back in history and they said, Yaakov Avinu was afraid. And Yaakov had a direct promise from Hashem that everything would work out well and I'm going to be there with you. But yet he was still afraid. And it seems like that was the right thing to do, to have that fear, to have the Yira. So they thought to themselves in the times of Achashverosh, that we should for sure be afraid. But they were wrong because the fear they were experiencing was an unhealthy fear. So we could fool ourselves into thinking we're doing something the Shem Shemayim, something that's, that's so sincere, but it's not the real deal. I remember a mother told me once that her son was going to yeshiva, he was in high school, and he never davened well. And then he started coming home for Sukkot and Pesach, and she saw the way he davened, And what used to be a 40-second Shmon would now take him 15 minutes. And she was having so much nachas. My little boy is finally becoming an Eved Hashem, such a beautiful thing. Until she realized that the reason he was davening a 15-minute Shmon is because he couldn't help himself. And she actually listened to her son daven, and he would get stuck on Almost every word And have to say that word over and over again Until he felt comfortable That he was saying it in the right way That's not Yira Shemaim. That means the child is, is, is really going through a hard time And you have to get him help So sometimes it might look like Good Yir Shemaim And what a frum boy When in reality the kid is suffering And he just needs someone to guide him How to, how to approach A Vod HaShem in a normal healthy way so Yiras Hashem can be misleading. However, it could be the most liberating feeling in the world. We say every day in Shemona three times a day, HaKel HaGadol HaGibor V'Hanora HaGadol means that you are vast in your kindness. HaGibor is you could do everything, you're in total control. V'Hanora literally means you are awesome or you are the source of fear so what does that mean you are the source of fear Hanora means the fear so the commentators on the Siddur explain that what we should have in mind when we say these words is that there is nothing else in the world to fear besides you that's a liberating fear when you think about it, what's the definition of, of, of fear? Why do we feel that way sometimes? Because I feel like I don't have control. When I'm in a situation that, that I don't have control over, then I get scared. Or if I, I'm under someone's power and they could do something to me that I cannot control, then I get really afraid. But if we recognize and remind ourselves three times a day, Vahanora, he can't touch me. No matter what she says to my employer That has no bearing on my future On my job No matter what they do over here That's not going to affect me financially Hanora, you're the only thing to be afraid of And if we really believed in that That fear would be a source of freedom That's Yiras Hashem (laughs) I think our prayer is that Joel should be free from that cough Once and for all in the Parsha we have the most pivotal, influential experience in human history which is Maimed Har Sinai. we have 3 million of the Jewish people standing on the foot of the mountain for the only time in history having a direct communication on a national level with the Bori with the infinite creator of the universe and it is so incredibly overwhelming that the people turned to Moshe. This is in source number 7, They said, Moshe, please, you speak to us, and we'll hear from you. But we don't want Hashem to speak to us, lest we die. If Hashem keeps on talking to us directly, He's going to kill us. We can't take it. So you speak for Hashem, please. What's Moshe's response? Moshe He says to the nation, "Alti don't be afraid. Hashem is putting on this whole show in order to test you, and that His fear." He's putting on this whole demonstration of power <coughs> in order that his fear should be on your face, levilti sachato, in order that you don't go astray. That's a strange response. Cal is screaming, we can't take it anymore, we're about to die, please, you just speak for Hashem. Moshe says back, don't worry, no, no, you have, to, you have to understand. Hashem is doing this, don't be afraid, He's doing this to make you afraid. What? Don't be afraid, He's doing this that His fear should be with you going forward, so you don't go astray. That's a strange response. <coughs> the Malbin comes along, and he says in an amazing interpretation of these two psukim, He says that when Klal Yisrael came to Har Sinai, they were were expecting a very romantic, a very uplifting experience. And that's not what they got. They got fire and brimstone. The the example I like to use is you have uh, Meishi and Shprinzi dating now for already a few months, and uh, it's time to get engaged. They both know it's coming. So they get dressed up and they go out to a nice dinner and they're walking along the boardwalk and then Moshe gets down on one knee and he says, Shpintzi, I really like you and I would love to spend my life with you. Will you marry me? And she's blushing. Moshe, yes! Yes, I love you! And they call her. It's a crazy thing. I've gotten so many calls from chassanim. I just got engaged! Just meaning like, like how long ago? Like, just like a minute ago! Why are you calling me? <laughs> just enjoy the moment! <laughs> Don't call me! <clears throat> so, um, so, right when she says yes, Maishi does something kind of strange. He takes out his 9mm and puts it at her head, and he doesn't want to touch her, but he puts it right here and says marry me or I'll blow your brains out so that killed the moment she still said yes and they laugh about it now <laughs> but but the question is like what, what are you doing we have this amazing thing going I love you you love me you ask for my hand in marriage I said yes it's all good why do you have to threaten my life what are you doing So that was really the response of Klal Yisrael. They got to the mountain, they said, even though that's in next week's parsha. we know chronologically it happens right here. They said, whatever it is, just just tell us what we have to do, and we accept fully. And then Hashem threatens their lives and says, if you don't accept my Torah, I'm going to kill all of you. So Klal Yisrael didn't like that. They said, Hashem, you ruined the moment. And that's what they meant in Pasek Tezayin, says the Malbim. They said to Moshe, What's going on over here? I want you to speak to us. Al-Yedaber iman-neu The simple interpretation of those words is, We don't want Hashem to speak to us, lest we die. Because if he keeps on speaking, it's, it's going to be too intense. Says the Malbim, that's not what they said. They said, we don't want Hashem to say, quote, we don't like Hashem threatening our lives. Why does He have to go that direction? Why does He have to speak about Yiras Ha'onesh, which means fear of punishment? Why can't He speak about Yiras Ha'romamus? Why can't He speak about this more majestic fear, this awe, this understanding of how great and vast HaKadosh Baruch Hu is? Why can't He go in that direction? Moshe's answer to Klal Yisrael was, You don't understand. You can't just jump to Yeres HaRomamus. What we're seeing here, and this is a well-known idea that we have in many sources, there are two types of quote-unquote fear. There's Yeres haoneish, which means this is the basic accountability. Why should I do it if I don't feel like doing it? The answer is because there are consequences to actions. Period. Do it or else. That doesn't sound rosy, it doesn't sound enchanting, but it's a necessity for human beings to know if you don't do the right thing, there are consequences. Okay, that's Yeres onish. That's basic fear. They were saying, we want to work on the higher level, Yeres Ha'romamos, which is more of an awe, based on the fact that we see, we understand the godless, the greatness of Hashem, that's going to be compelling for us. And Moshe said back, you can't jump to the higher level without starting at the base level. You have to work your way up. You have to climb every rung of the ladder. So the whole experience at Har Sinai, besides hearing Hashem and besides the confirmation that there's a limitless creator of the universe and the confirmation that the Torah itself is the true, the, the, the true expression of the will of God, Hashem wanted to make it scary to teach us going forward, says the Sefer Haredim in the 1500s, that even when it doesn't feel good, even when I'm not in the mood, even when I'm not inspired, I don't care. This is something I have to do. This is an acharyas. It's a responsibility. There's accountability to life. So there's two levels of fear when it comes to Hashem. Yeresa Onesh, you have to do it, or else there are consequences. And Yeresa Romamos, which is something much more lofty, which takes years and years to work on, climbing every rung of the ladder. <coughs> <coughs> Rebbe Blazer was one of the, the three main disciples of Rebbe Yisrael Salanter. And uh, Rabbi Yisrael Salanter used to give drushas in the yeshiva, and the main focus of every drasha, almost every drasha, was yira. He would focus on fear and reverence. Once Rabbi Yisrael passed away, and Rabbi Yitzchak Blazer took over, he wouldn't just focus on yira, he would also speak about ava. He would speak about love of Hashem, and the and clinging to Hashem. So they asked him the question: you Now, if you're a disciple of Rabbi Yisrael Salanter, why are you deviating? He only had one theme. He would constantly pound home the message of Yiras Hashem, but you speak about all these other ideas. So Rabbi Yitzhak Blazer answered that my Rabbi was almost a sholem, he was almost fully complete in the realm of reverence, and therefore that was his life's focus. We're so far away from everything, we should dabble in everything so we can gain a little bit. A little bit of Yira, a little bit of Ava, a little bit of love, a little bit of fear, a little bit of and Anything will help. Why do we need any fear whatsoever? And if you ever attend a Kiruv seminar, where you have people talking about the beauty of Judaism... How often does the subject of yiras Onesh, of fear of punishment, come into the uh, conversation? All right, so welcome to the seminar this evening. I'm going to tell you some of the, the beautiful things about Judaism, the light, the radiance, the, uh, you know, the uplifting power of the Torah. If you follow it, that's wonderful, and there's schar, there's reward, and if you don't, there's, there's consequences to actions. People don't like talking about that. Why do we need fear at all? It's so uncomfortable to discuss. It's so uncomfortable even to think about. Why can't we just have love? Wasn't that a Beatles song? All you need is love. So the Beatles were wrong. They were wrong. But why? Why do we need fear? It just seems to darken the whole picture. So the Mishnah Pirkei Ovo seems to answer this question. It tells us that when it comes to serving Hashem... Famous Mishnah, Al Tiyuka Manasla We shouldn't be like servants who are serving their master in order to gain reward. Rather, we should do it because it's true. The famous words of the Rambam, La Sosa emis emis. Do that which is true because it's true, not because you're going to get some kind of reward. That's the ideal. However, the Mishnah concludes but you should have the fear of heaven upon you. Why do you have to have fear of heaven if I'm doing it because it's true? I'm doing it because I love God? The bartender explains, because when push comes to shove, love is not always there. If you think of a relationship, what's the foundation of my relationship with my brother, with my spouse, with my child? Is the foundation love can't be love because it's not always there. You don't always feel it. Obviously, we always love our family and friends. It's there deep, deep down sometimes, but that can't be the catalyst. What's the base? What's the foundation of any relationship? Says Revolva, responsibility. Knowing that I'm accountable for you and I'm accountable for this relationship. So the Mishnah is teaching us we can't just base ourselves on love because you don't always feel love. Responsibility is a constant. I always have to be here. I always have to show up. If I'm the basketball player and my team needs me, I might not be in the mood to play right now. But it doesn't make a difference. You've got to get out there and try your best. So that's really the conversation of reverence of Hashem. Now, there's a famous Gemara that speaks about Reb Shimon Sunni, who spent years and years darshaning all of the essen in the Torah. Every time the Torah has Aleph Saf, he had a drasha that he was coming to include something else, until he got to the, the source, the Pesach, that speaks about having reverence for Hashem, where it says, Es Hashem malokecha tira, to fear Hashem. What could that S possibly Come to include, how can you put anything in the same category of having reverence for Hashem? And he said, You know what? I give up. And he had the famous line, Kishem Shekabalti Al just like I received reward for trying to to darsh it and trying to learn out from every S yes in the Torah, Kachani Makaboschalaprisha, al I'll also receive reward on stopping because I don't think it's true. However, Rabbi Kiva comes along and he saves the day. Rabbi Kiva says, no, the S, when it says, fear Hashem, it's coming to include Talmidei Chachamim, Torah scholars. A similar reverence that we have to Hashem, we are commanded, we are instructed to have that similar feeling towards Talmidei Chachamim, towards people who are absorbed with Torah. How many times in secular society do you see a wise man or a wise woman walk into the room and people stand up because they're so in awe of their wisdom? All right, so we do have with us this evening a special guest, Mr. Markman's brother-in-law, who served on the Appeals Court of New York State. The Appeals Court of New York State. And people did stand in the room when you walked in, but you know why they stood? I'm sure it was because they had a tremendous respect for you, but that's part of the process. All rise, people stand. Respect for the system. Respect for the system. If it's not part of the system, though, and we're not being told to rise, how often do we find in the world that people stand up because I just want to show you that I'm mechabed you, that I have reverence for you. You don't find that. I. Uh, I forget what this was, a while back, my wife needed to take the, the two girls to a, a special clothing store in North Miami Beach. So we're gonna make a family outing of it. Only problem is, when the boys go to clothing stores, it doesn't end well. <laughs> boys including the father, right? <laughs> so uh, we figured there's no problem. This place is right next to, uh, to like a little kosher store. So I took Avraham and Menachem, my six-year-old and my three-year-old, we got some sushi, that was exciting. And the whole time I was telling them that I used to learn in the yeshiva here in North Miami Beach. Living in Boka, Baruch Hashem, we have shuls and we have places of learning, but you don't have a massive yeshiva with, with shelves lining the walls of svarim. So before we left, I called Rabbi Lubin. He's the Rosh Yeshiva in North Miami Beach. I was very close with him. I am very close with him for many years now. And I said, we're going to be around there during the, uh, the lunch break of the Yeshiva. Can I stop by with my boys and get a brocha from the Rosh Shiva? So uh, he said, I'm actually in back-to-back meetings, but I would love an excuse to get out. That'd be great. <laughs> so we made that plan. And the whole way, I'm, I'm, I'm pumping it up. You know, Menachem is three years old. He's, he's Menachem. But I'm telling Avraham, who's somewhat conscious, we're going to see Tati's Rebbe. We're going to get a bracha from Harav Ben Yamin Luban. He learned for probably almost 20 years in yeshiva. He was one of the closest Talmidim to the Rosh Yeshiva. This sefer right over here, and I held up Hadusha Halev, one of the Svar the Ray Luban authored, was written by Rabbi Luban. We're going to go. He's going to come out and give us a special bracha. And we were just talking about it, and we finally get there. And by the time he walks outside, Avraham is like trembling. <laughs> he says, like, what's your name? I can't talk. I felt bad, I pumped it up too much, you know. <laughs> but, but we need to instill that in our children. That just like we have a fear, awe, reverence of a Kaddish Baruch Hu, Rabbi Kiva is telling us we have to have something similar towards Talmideh Chachamim. And sometimes it's easy to have that when it comes to Shmuel, Kamenetsky, you know, the, the big names in the world, Chaim, Kanievsky, anything that rhymes with eski. <laughs> but, but when it comes to their teachers at school, or when it comes to the, the Torah personalities they're involved with on a daily or weekly basis, how much kovo do we give them? And sometimes it's even harder if you've learned in yeshiva and and your kid in high school comes home and he's telling you over something the Rebbe said, and your automatic reaction would be, "Ah, oh, that's not shot in the Rashi. He didn't mean that. Where did where did he learn?" We have to we have to we have to show them reverence. Now that's true when it comes to Talmidei to people of Torah stature, and that's obviously true when it comes to parents. We know there are two distinct mitzvot when it comes to honoring a parent. One is kavod. Which the Gemara tells us—that's doing things for them, helping them get dressed, helping them with food and drink—and then there's Yira, Ishimov Oviv Tiro. The Torah tells us that you have to have a reverence of your father and mother. What does that mean halachically? So we've spoken about this in Sunday morning shirim, and there are many, many halachos here, but I just wanted to quote a couple of the Sifim from the Shulchan Aruch to get a feel of what this means. What does it mean to have a reverence of a parent? Shulchan Aruch teaches us, source number 15, If your father or mother has a place that they usually stand in, don't stand there. If, they, if your father has a place, he usually Dobbins in a shul. Even if he's not there, don't sit in his seat. Sit next to his seat. If they have a place at the dining room or the kitchen table, mom sits here, dad sits here, I cannot sit in their seat without explicit permission. Do not contradict their words. Velo devara Bifanov and don't even agree to them if they're saying something that's true that that's right I saw that actually in an article you're 100% correct dad even if what they're saying you're you're trying to support it's a lack of reverence velo anu bishmo don't call them by their name hey jay can you pass the uh, slice of pizza <clears throat> rather you should say my father my master Imi Marasi, my mother, my, my, my teacher, my master. Wow. That sounds pretty old school, right? But that's what the Shulchan Aruch says. It's so common to get into any kind of heated discussion with a parent. Now when it comes to learning, it's different and there's much to talk about there. You're allowed to have a heated discussion, obviously with respect. But when it comes to something that has no relevance to life whatsoever, like politics... Even if you argue vehemently with your parents' views, it's an Isser De reisa. It's a Torah prohibition to tell them you're wrong. Maybe they're dead wrong, maybe they totally don't get it, but that's not my place. If it has no relevance in life, we're talking about Trump versus Hillary, or whatever the conversation was, don't go there. So many relationships are ruined within families, between parents and children, because they have heated debates about things that have no bearing on their life whatsoever. What a waste of time. What a waste of a relationship. How far does this having reverence for a father and mother go? The Shulchan gives the example. Even if you're a prestigious person, you're sitting in front of a big crowd, and mom walks up to you, and she says... Do you think you are wearing that suit? Do you think you're something special? She rips off your tie and she rips the lapel and she spits in your face. Wow, Menachem, you hear that? So what's the response? So anyone, and any millennial would say, you can't take that from a parent. Certain things are not okay. I don't care if I have to humiliate them in public, I'll stand up and give it to them. Lo zuha that's not Torah philosophy. Torah philosophy is you might not want to visit them that often and go through that kind of abuse, might not be a healthy thing to do, but you don't stand up and embarrass them in public. That's mora, that's reverence. And we have chayiv lamod bibne aviv. You have an obligation when your father or mother walks into the room to stand up for them. Standing up doesn't just mean this, it means fully standing up for them. Now, Parents are allowed to be mochah, they're allowed to forgive that, and oftentimes that's the assumption. But objectively, that's what we're striving for. The Shulchan Aruch and Reish Mem speaks about the obligation of having more, of having reverence for zakenim, for people who are older. And the Gemara Kedushin says it clearly, Jew or non-Jew, anyone who's an older person, when they walk right in front of you, you have to stand up. We respect older people because they have more experience than we do. They've lived a life longer than we have. These are basics of respect and reverence and dignity that we don't find that much in the world. And I think this is the missing ingredient. Why do we respect our parents? Why why are we commanded to have reverence for older people? So we think it's based on when it comes to parents at least, hakarasatov, to have gratitude. They brought us into this world, they took care of us, and that's obviously true. But there's an amazing piece here in the Sefer HaIkrim, Rav Yosef Albo, in the 1500s, where he says, the reason why we need to have reverence and awe of parents is in order to ensure the Mesorah, to make sure that the Torah values are passed on in their authentic form from generation to generation, it's not enough to, appreci- to appreciate the message. If you don't appreciate the messengers, then the message will be lost. So the only way to have an authentic misorah is through having reverence of the people who are transmitting that message. And this is a famous story, and I'm sure you've all heard it before, but I think with this context, it gives it so much more meaning. Rav Yaakov Kamenetsky was sitting on the plane with Yeruchem Michel, who was the, the Secretary General of the Histadrut Trade Federation. Very powerful, influential person. And they're schmoozing together, and uh, Yeruchim is asking different questions about Megillus Rust to Rav Yaakov, and he was answering, obviously in his brilliant way. And the whole time he's sitting there in the plane, there's a middle-aged man who comes over to Rav Yaakov, and he keeps on asking him, can I get a glass of water? Can I get a cup of coffee? No, I'm fine, thank you. There's a girl who's a teenage girl. She keeps on coming over to Rabbi Yaakov. Can, can I get Zaidi anything? Are you comfortable? Can I, should I ask for some more pretzels? So Yerucha Michelle turns to Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky and says, I don't get it. Who are these people? I assume they're relatives. So Rabbi Yaakov said, yeah, that's my son, Rabbi Vram. That's my granddaughter. Syrucha Michel said, I don't get it. I also have children and grandchildren. I never see my grandchildren. And my children I see once in a while, but they would never have that level of, of respect for me and caring about my well being and asking me, do I want more pretzels? Sort of Yaakov answered back in a, in a humorous way, but it was very poignant. He said, For your children and grandchildren, you're one step closer to a monkey. That's all you are. They're more advanced than you are. They're more modern than you are. Really, they're better than you. They don't need you. And the older you get, the less needed you are. He said, from our perspective, I'm, I'm one or two generations closer to the source of everything, closer to Har Sinai, And therefore, they have that respect. With Rav Albo, what Yosef Albo is telling us, is that the, the mitzvah of having reverence for a parent is not just because we have gratitude, but it's in order to appreciate the message that they're sharing with us. There's an article in the Wall Street Journal that goes back to 2014 entitled, Children Put Mom and Dad on a First Name Basis. And this seems to be a new trend. Good morning, Michael, or great driving, Laura. And it creates an atmosphere of cynicism and makes a child feel powerful. One 23-year-old who is interviewed calls out to his father, good boy, Jay, when he lands a great parking spot. So in the article it goes on to say that our children have grown up with moms and dads who want to be their BFFs, their best friends forever. I always get confused between BFF. And an FFB, <laughs> right? I was to think for a second before I say it. But you have moms and dads wanting to be their child's best friend. And we're, we're not, we don't need all that old-fashioned respect stuff. We want to be able to relate to our kids. But we're lacking that key ingredient of reverence. And when you don't have reverence, they don't respect your value system. They don't respect you. How do you do it? How do we educate children to respect us? That's a hard thing to do. When it comes to other areas of being machanach, a child, of educating a child, how to do a mitzvah, if it's putting on tefillin or shaking a lulav, or if it's doing chesed, these are things that we could could train them, we could educate them, we could show them how to do it, but once we demand respect, so then we're not going to get respect, and we know that's not the way to do it. So how in the world can you teach a child to have respect for you? There is a Harris poll, also a couple years ago, interviewing people and asking them, do you think nowadays students respect their teachers as much as they did when you were in school? So 79% of Americans said that when they were in school, students respected their teachers. And only 31% said that we assume that, that, that students have the respect for their teachers nowadays. How about parents and teachers having respect for each other? 91% of respondents said that we assume when we were in school, our parents and teachers had respect for each other. Nowadays, 64%. This is not using the scientific method. This is asking people what they assume to be the case. But I think it's a, it's a, it's a fairly prevalent assumption. So how do you how do you train or educate a child to respect you when you can't demand respect? There's an amazing conversation when Jacob is making a peace treaty with Laban. The Torah tells us, "Vayomer Yaakov le'echov." Jacob said to his brothers, "Liktu avanim, let us gather stones, and we'll make a Gal. We'll make a mound, and we'll make a peace treaty together with Lavan. So who were his brothers he was talking to? He turns to his brothers. So Rashi says he was actually speaking to his children, and he called them his brothers because they were together with him through thick and thin. He referred to his children as his brothers. Comes along the Emek Davar, the Nitziv, And he says, but I don't get it. Rashi's telling us that he's referring to his children. But why did he call them brothers? What was the point of doing that? That's question number one. Question number two is why would you hassle the kids to gather stones? You have so many servants and maidservants. Get the, get the, the housekeepers to do it. Why are you having the kids do it? So why are you calling them brothers if they're really your children? And why are you being matriach them? Why are you hassling them? Let the servants do it. Those are the two questions of the netziv. So he says that Yaakov understood this moment was a very special moment. Because he was really mad at Lavan. Lavan said some very hurtful things. And yet Yaakov wanted to just rise above the whole thing and make peace and make shalom. He wanted his children to be involved in this, in making peace, to show them how important it is to get past your personal strife and to to leave off feeling good about a relationship. And therefore he said, I want you to do this together with me. This is being mechanech you, this is training you in how how to interact with people. And he called them his brothers because if he called them my sons, they would have still done it, but they would have done so because... Dad told me to. They'd be lacking the appreciation of I'm doing it because objectively it's a wonderful thing to do, to make shalom. So he said, my brothers, we're all in this together. Let's do something meaningful. And therefore when they participated, they didn't do so just because Dad said so. They did so because they appreciated what they were doing. We're making peace. If we want to teach our children to have respect, either for us, their parents, or for Talmidei Chachamim for, for rabbis, for people who are absorbed with Torah knowledge Or to have respect for older people Or to have respect for Kodesh Baruch Hu. We have to show them what it means To live with dignity If we don't have respect for ourselves And we don't treat them with respect What are the odds they're going to treat themselves or others with respect? Close to nothing So it's a fine balance where we don't have to be chummy, we don't have to be BFFs, we're we're friendly, and there's a clear distinction that I'm the parent and you're the child. But the way to to instill reverence within them is not by demanding it, it's by acting with reverence, by acting with dignity. And if you ever have the opportunity, and, and, and for many of us we don't have parents right here. But it's the most unbelievable opportunity When a mother or father walks in the room If one is zochet to still have a mother and father Then you stand up for your parents Or you stand up for an older person I'm not telling them This is what you have to do But I'm demonstrating This is what a yid does This is how we live our life We live with respect That's the only way And that's the most effective way To get across that message Not only do we have respect for our parents For older people for ourselves and for Hashem. There's one more thing we have to have respect for. And that's having respect for wisdom. We have to respect wisdom. When a safer falls on the floor, what do you have to do? Nothing. You pick it up, you put it on the table. What is the custom? You pick it up and you kiss it. To the point where sometimes it happens so often, I have my... Little uh, Sara, who is 14 months, you know, a uh, brown bear falls on the floor and she's kissing brown bear. But why do you kiss a safer? Because we have chashivas, we have dignity, we have reverence for wisdom. There's an amazing letter written by the author of Kelm. The author of Kelm was one of, the, one of the other disciples of Rabbi Yisrael Salanter. And he was writing to one of his talmidim, and he starts off the letter by saying... I've had this chiddush, I've had this idea in mind for 12 years, but I haven't shared it with anybody because I didn't feel they would appreciate it, and it would be a disgrace to the chachma. It would be a ganai. It would take away from the wisdom. But after our correspondence, I feel you'll be able to understand what I'm saying and appreciate, and therefore I want to share it with you. Imagine if you were that talmud for like a million bucks. But but the Hashkafah, the philosophy, is so clear. When we have reverence, not just for ourselves and others, and obviously for Hashem, we have reverence for Chachma, for wisdom. That's the most powerful way of sending a message to everybody, including our children. This is what life is all about. I stand up for people who have this, and I stand up for the Sefer Torah when it comes into the room, and I kiss the, the Sefer when it falls on the floor. A life without reverence is a life without meaning. It's dry, it's stale, it's boring, and ultimately, it's not fulfilling. A life with reverence is not always comfortable, because that means sometimes you have to do things you don't want to do. But there's accountability, and there's responsibility, then there's meaning, then there's purpose, and then there's simcha. Have a wonderful Shabbos, everybody.